So there is this alarming trend of um, people who have grown up in church, and then once they reach adulthood, uh, they leave. They leave their faith. Um, perhaps maybe you've been one of these people. Um, maybe you're in a time of questioning and um, lead the idea of leaving your faith uh, is growing more and more in its appeal. And when you listen to deconversion stories, that is when you listen to story, people tell their stories of why they're no longer a Christian or no longer part of the faith, um, there are certain threads that you'll find woven throughout all of them. Um, and one of the primary ones is that there's a version of Christianity out there um, in which you are required to dislike certain groups of people. If you want to be like the Christians in that faith and in that community, you've got to dislike certain people. Um, there, there's a version where you, you're constantly looking for a way out of it because you, you're never allowed to feel good about yourself. Right. And, and none of those things, none of that um, is good news. N none, of, none of it is. Um, and as we said last week, for many people, the, the question surrounding Christianity is, is it true? Um, but for more and more people, the question is becoming not, is it true? But this, is it good? Is it good? If it causes me to hate, it may be true, but it isn't good, right? If it causes me to feel like I can't live my life and be myself, then it may be true, but it isn't good. Um, if it causes me to always feel bad about myself and to feel guilt, then it may be true, but it isn't good. Now, when we hear news as people, when we hear news that isn't good, there's something inside of us that hopes it isn't true, right? And it doesn't matter what the news is, whether it's concerning your health, your job, um, your finances, your relationships. If it's news that you see on the um, read and from different news sources, you, you see bad news and you just kind of, there's that thing in you like, oh man, I hope, I hope that isn't true. I hope they figure out that it's wrong. Um, but whatever, it doesn't matter. And when you hear news that's good about all of those same things, you hope that it's true in the same way that you hope the bad news isn't true, right? And so the question that we're wrestling with over these few weeks around Christmas is that if the message of Jesus is good, then why don't people lean in and hope that it's true? even if they don't believe it? And why are there versions of our faith that are so not good that people are looking for a way out? And the interesting thing is that Jesus's birth could have been announced in lots of different ways using lots of different words. But here was the major headline of the announcement. I bring you Good news that will cause great joy for all people. And as we said last week, this was unbelievable because it was unheard of in that time for there to be any news that could possibly be good for all 
people. Good for some people, sure. But all? Probably not. Because good for some usually meant bad for others, right? And this news was so good that they called it the gospel, which literally means the good story. But if it is so good, why the resistance? Right? If it's so good, why would anybody be looking for a way out? Well, why would people, as I've heard described in so many different people's stories, why, why is there a sense of relief and freedom when people step away from their faith? Right? Why is there? Why, why wouldn't people who don't believe it's true, why wouldn't they wish it was true? Right? So the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is this. What happened? What happened? What, what happened to the good news that it's no longer good? Right? What happened? Why doesn't everybody want it to be true? And as I was sitting and thinking about this, and it dawns on me really that, that maybe, maybe what happened is we happened. And maybe we haven't. Maybe it's a little bit our fault. Maybe it's a lot our fault. Because the church has certainly Americanized the good news. And in our defense, it would be hard to not do that, being Americans. But the church has not only done that, the church has politicized the good news. Uh, the church has monetized the good news. The church has anti-intellectualized the good news. The church has internalized the good news. And by that, I, I, I mean that it's reducing it just to something that we believe or that we think as opposed to something that we do. For many people in that vein of thought, the good news is more like fire insurance <laughs> to make sure that whatever happens in this afterlife to us, it ain't going to be burning, right? Eh. But when you read the gospels, it isn't about what you believe. And it isn't about what's going to happen to you when you die. Now, the gospels are about how you live your life and how you treat other people. And when it gets reduced to what's in it for me, regardless of how it affects you, what's in it for me, that is not good news for all people. Right? And that is not the original news. What that is, is that that's pick and choose news. Oh, that rhymed. I didn't <laughs> pick and choose news. Right? I pick and choose the parts uh, that suit me. I, I, I pick and choose the parts that are going to benefit me. I pick and choose the parts that are going to be good for my family. But the moment we do that, the good news is no longer good news of great joy for all people. Because, because for all people means that it's good news for Jews and Gentiles, right? It's good news for slave and free, for male and female, for rich and for poor, for righteous and for the unrighteous, for the saints and the sinners, for the family you cannot wait to get together with over Christmas to the ones that you hope cancel and don't show up. If it's not good news for all of them, 
then it is not the original version of the good news. Paul, um, who was at the epicenter of the transition between the law and the prophets that we call the Old Testament into um, the, the gospel and the new covenant that Jesus made, um, he was a Pharisee who knew the old ways backwards and forwards and inside out. I mean, he was all about it. Yet he chose to become a Jesus follower. And here's what he's saying in this verse that we're going to be taking a look at. He's saying, you have never met a single soul for whom the good news was not good news. So the question then is, what about me? Am I good news, right? Are you good news of great joy for all people, right? Or just the people who are like you? And that's a tough question. And I have a feeling that if the church had gotten this right, that, that had done this thing right, our nation and our world would be a completely different place. Initially, uh, when Paul hears the good news, he, he doesn't think that it's good news, right? His finances, his popularity, um, his future, they, they were all, his worldview, they were all tied to the old ways. And you know this, you, you know this to be true. Um, those people who benefit most from the old ways and the old views are the people who are least inclined to let those old ways and old views go. So Paul, he, he didn't want to let it go. So he gets himself deputized, right? And he decides that he's going to put an end to this thing called the way. These people who call themselves Jesus followers, he's going to squash it. And then he runs directly into the grace and mercy of a God that he didn't even know. Right, And when he understands at that point what the real news is, he lays down all of his violent, hateful, fear-driven ways. Right, And he continues to be an activist and he continues to dedicate himself to it. But now he has a different message. He has a different message. And in one of his letters, he said, the only thing that matters is faith working itself out in love. And people are like, wait, 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 wait. Faith working itself out in love? Paul, weren't you the guy that was arresting and torturing people? Yeah, 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 I was. But I didn't understand the news. I didn't get it. I didn't understand how good it was. I didn't understand that it was for all people, right? For everyone. And, and, and Paul, from that moment on, gave his life to clarify for the Gentile people that how good the news of Jesus really was and it was for them. And as a result, Paul became a better person. So he writes these letters and, and this that we're gonna look at, this verse we're gonna look at is from one of them to the, to the church in Philippi, which was in Greece. And as you hear this, imagine, imagine with me as I read these verses. What if... What we read in these verses today, what if they characterize every single Christian in our nation? 
All right, well, what if our lives were characterized by this and personified the good news? What if, right? And, and this is what Paul teases out in his letters. He, he talks about what it's like to truly be a light in this world. He, here's what he wrote in Philippians chapter two. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, in other words, now that you're in this brand new covenant, as he's writing to all of these new Christians with this brand new understanding. He says, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, in other words, he's saying, if there's anything that has come your way from following Jesus, that is good. If you have benefited um, from being a follower of Jesus, then I need you to do me a favor. And here's the favor. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. He's essentially, as he's saying this specifically to the gathering in Philippi, he's saying, look, when people look at you as a community, as a group, Right? I want people to see something that is so different about the way that you treat each other. I, I allow the good that has come to you to overflow into your relationships. And he's essentially telling us, listen, this is not just about something you believe. This is about something you do. Uh, okay, Paul. So... What do you have in mind? How do, we, how do we do that? He says, I'm glad you asked, but you may not be glad once I tell you. He says, here's how you do that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I mean, if we just stopped there, uh, uh, imagine, imagine how good that would be if every Christian did that. Wouldn't you love to work for somebody like that who did nothing out of selfish ambition? Wouldn't you love to have people working for you if you're a boss that were like that? Wouldn't you like the people that you have relationships with to be like that? He says, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Literally treat people as if they are more valuable than you, even if you don't really think they are. That's how, well, well, Paul, why would I do that? <laughs> Again, Paul, I'm glad you asked because, because this gets to the epicenter of the gospel, the epicenter of the good story. That is for God so loved the world that is for God. So valued you that he sent his son into the world to die. Now, listen, I, I, I'm going to break some news to you right now. You are not more valuable than God. <laughs> I, I, I know that hurts some of you this morning, but, but you're not. But God treated you like you were. And that, that is the good news, right? That is how I want you to be, Paul would say. Live your life in such a way 
that you do for others what God has done for you. And when others see that, they will say, man, that is good. I may not believe, I may not understand how they believe what they believe, but my goodness, what they are doing and who they are is good. Paul keeps going. He says, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Well, why would I do that? Because that's what God did for you. That's the gospel. God put you first. And then now Jesus says, follow me. Follow me and treat others in the exact same manner. And then Paul makes this statement. And, and I don't know how we miss this because it's not like this is tucked away and hidden. This is like up front and center. He says, in your relationships with one another. Wait, 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 Paul, which relationships? All of them. In all of your relationships with every person, with the people that you like and the people that you don't like, all of them. In your relationships, have the mindset as Christ Jesus. Why would I do that? Because it's good. Right? When you have the same mindset as Jesus in your relationships, you will defer to other people and put them first. You will not power up. You will not, you will not flex your will. You'll step back. And that is unusual. That, that, is, that is not the way the world operates but it represents the value system of the kingdom of God, a system that was declared when a baby was born and proclaimed king. And the earth shook and King Herod was afraid of a baby. And little did he know that he would become merely a footnote in the story of the birth of the savior of the world. And that is good news. It really is. Paul goes on talking about Jesus. He says, who being in very nature, God. And, and this is the most amazing thing. Tr try for a minute to imagine that I'm not reading from the Bible, that I'm not reading from scripture. Uh, try to imagine and picture this as I am reading a letter written by a guy who knew all of the people who had been with Jesus. And in his discussion with all of those people, Paul's like, tell me what he was like. Tell me what it was like. Tell me what it was like. And, and they, they said the best that we can describe Jesus is that when we were with him, we felt like we were with God. So Jesus being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, which we're like, wait, what? Yeah, God showed up amongst us mere mortals and he never powered up and he never played the God card and he never used his power and his influence for his own benefit. Do you know what he did instead? And listen, if you did this, this would change your family. This would change your office. This would change your community. This would change the nation. This would change the world. In fact, this did change the world at one time 
What Jesus actually did was he leveraged his power and influence for the benefit of those who had no power and had no influence. And listen, there, there are communities in our country and nations around the world in which that singular idea of leveraging our power for those who don't have power, that singular idea would liberate and free so many people. It, it, it would increase the lifespan and the quality of life for literally millions of people, if we could just get that one thing right. I mean, if world leaders would embrace just this one idea that sits at the center of the gospel message, it would bring so much good, you would not even be able to measure it. The message of Jesus is good news. It really is. Paul isn't finished. Je Jesus did not power up. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. And this, this is what caused everyone to sit up and pay attention. Right? Because, because there had never been anything like this before. There had never been a person who was a leader who put themselves in the position of the servant. Being made in human likeness. That's, that's how he put himself in that position. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That means he chose to place himself under. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. And, and here's the part to us that, that, that is just art. And the reason that it's just art is because we have never seen one. We've never heard one. We've never smelled one, nor will we ever. But he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The moment that Jesus was the most glorified was the moment in which we, had we been there, would have been the most horrified. We would have looked in the other direction. Do you, do you know what the goal of the crucifixion was? The goal of the crucifixion was to literally wipe out the fact that you ever existed. It was so horrible that, that your friends would have claimed to never have known you. And your family would have disowned you. No one would have even known where you were buried. It was, is, it was as if you'd never even existed. And this is the end that our savior chose. He came to leverage his life for many. He came to leverage his influence for those who did not have influence. And now, and now he says, I want you to follow me. I want you to follow me. And I want you to figure out how in your own world and how with your finances 
and how with your own opportunities, I want you to figure out how to emulate what I did because that is good for all people. Is the message of Jesus good? My goodness, is it? It really, really is, right? And he came to reverse the order of everything. And he invites us to follow. Imagine if the kings and the leaders of this earth embraced that idea, how much good would come of it? Skipping down to verse 12, Paul says, look, you have a part to play in this. He tells us, continue to work out. And I love that phrase, that idea, just letting God squeeze out of you everything associated with your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And what is his good purpose? It's for the world to know that there is a God who invites them to call him father. And that he sent his son to pay the ultimate price and who invites us to follow him, to set up a new world order. Not one like we've seen before, but a kingdom of conscience, right? A kingdom where the heart rules and the heart is in sync with the heart of God. Is that good? <laughs> you bet it is. You bet it is. And that changes everything because that changes humanity from the inside out. Right? And then the perversion of the gospel says, well, good things happen to me. Good things happen to us. Paul would say, no, 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 no. Good things happen around us. And when we embrace that perversion that it's to us and it's about us and it's for us, we are no longer good news to those who are around us. So Paul wraps up with this. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Do you know what it means to be blameless? It doesn't mean you are perfect. Some people think that's what it means. That's not what it means. It means that you can't be blamed for anything. And here's why. Because a blameless person messes up and then the blameless person immediately fesses up and asks for forgiveness. Takes responsibility and apologizes before anyone has the opportunity to blame them. They have already taken care of it. That is what it means to be blameless. And that is good. It says they're blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped, that is a what's in it for me mindset, in a warped and crooked generation. And then Paul reaches back and he grabs the very terms that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, when you do this as, as an individual, uh, as a congregation, as a group in community, uh, as a city or a nation, the results will be that. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. In other words, your selflessness 
will stand in stark contrast to the selfishness that characterizes the kingdom of the world. Can you imagine a world like that? Right? This is what you've been invited to. This is how you change the world. So as we're getting full swing into this Christmas season now, let, let's, let's, be, let's be specific. How, how does good news behave? Well, what happens when you personify the good news? What, what positions you to be good news to those around you? Here are four things straight out of the text that we looked at today for you to do this Christmas season so that you are the good news. The first is this, apologize immediately, right? We are not always good news. Own that, right? Own that. Our, our tendency when we mess up or when we do something wrong or we do wrong to someone, uh, our tendency is to deny, to deflect, to save faith, to face, to figure out how somehow it's not our fault. Let's not do that. When we do something wrong, let's apologize. Let's own it. This one thing may open up an entirely new level of trust and respect in the relationships in your life. Here's the second thing. Forgive quickly. We should forgive because we have been forgiven, right? We have no excuse to hold on to bitterness or anger. Yeah, yes, we're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. And you have every right to be able to process and deal with those feelings and those emotions on your schedule. But you can do that and still forgive. Here's the third thing you need to do. Defer habitually, which is kind of this weird phraseology, but, but essentially that is put others first. Easy to say, hard to do. Um, but Jesus deferred for you. You can do it for those around you. And here's the last one. Give sacrificially. Give sacrificially. For God so loved the world, he gave. C could you imagine? Could you imagine if these things if these things were representative of all Christians, right? Because it's the violation of these things that has made the good news, not good news for all people. It's made it good news for groups of people, but not all people. It's the violation of these things that has created a version of faith that people are relieved to get out from under. But it is doing these things. And the doing of these things, that's how you will portray the good news of Jesus. That's how you will become the good news personified. And listen, the message of Jesus wasn't just good news. It was great news. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for what this season means and what lies at the epicenter 
of the gospel. Lord, I thank you that you did for us what we were undeserving of. And Father, let us rise to the challenge of you inviting us to follow you and to do for others what you have done for us. Lord, this this can be a difficult season for so many people. But God, in the midst of darkness, let us shine bright. Let us be a glimpse of the good news to those people around us. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In your name, amen. Thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Don't forget, next week, January 20th at 11 a.m. here at the YMCA. You are to come as you are and stay in your car, but we are going to be together for our Christmas service. I look so forward to seeing all of you there. Until next week, we'll see you later.